0: I would like for you to turn to Acts, the 18th chapter this morning. This is a chapter that has to do with the conversion of the Corinthian church, the beginning of the Corinthian church, and I would like to start a number of lessons upon the epistle to them, because I think it will be helpful, it will be uh, informative to those of us who are uh, worshiping and wanting to do like God uh, really wanted people to do in the first century. And uh, we're going to really key in on the Corinthians and upon that first epistle and, the, and uh, we want you to begin by just looking at the conversion and uh, like we studied last time on the conversion of uh, the Ethiopian Uh, eunuch Uh, this is a conversion of an entire congregation it's a people that uh, are at Corinth Corinth is a is a a, a, was a city that was destroyed 150 in 46 uh, B.C. and it wasn't uh, built back until about uh, 46 B.C. it took it it took a hundred years for them to decide uh, the Roman government uh, to let them back into uh, their providential uh, workings and uh, they were at the end of this peninsula and the ships went through here it was a very it was a port uh, city and of course there was a lot of trade there's a lot of rich people there a lot of people who who prospered and and uh, And it was just a a very wicked city. In fact, uh, to be a Corinthian, uh, the name Corinthian was just a synonym for uh, evil. And uh, we need to understand that this was a place, though, that God uh, wanted Paul to go to and to teach people. And now, uh, when he came here about uh, in the 50s uh, after Christ, and that made this uh, city about a hundred years old Uh, and it had prospered and it had grown and it was uh, developing and uh, when Paul went there he was very afraid he was very scared he was frightened let's look at the 18th chapter of of this uh, book of Acts after these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila born in Pontus lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and worked, or he wrought with them. For by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, every sabbath and persuaded the jews and the greeks now if you think about paul had been this is his second journey and he'd been preaching now for a year and a half or two years and he comes to this place uh it, it, he's still doing the same thing he's done in his first journey Everywhere he went, he went to the synagogue first, if they had a synagogue, and he he, he had that in in uh, common with them, knowing the Old Testament and knowing about God, Jehovah God, and he would teach them. And he was teaching that Jesus was the Messiah, the one promised in the Old Testament. And that fourth verse said, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. And that tells a lot of that tells a lot. Uh, he he was he was working and he was working among them, and uh, and he didn't just reason with them, but he he encouraged them. He persuaded both of them, the Jews and the Greeks. He had something to tell them. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. He was the Messiah. He.
1: Uh,
0: Uh, I guess he even got up more courage when they came. But when you see that uh, passage that says uh, he was pressed in the Spirit, and he testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ, he was the Messiah. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justus. One that worshipped God. Now that one that worshipped God is a God-fearer. He is a Gentile, but he's one that has been influenced by the Old Testament and the things that have been uh, taught in the Old Testament. And that worshipped God is a God-fearer. In the original language, he was a God-fearer, and uh, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, see, he's the ruler of the synagogue. He's the one that carried it on and directed the services and saw that it was well uh, directed, believed on the Lord. He believed on on Jehovah, and he believed in the, New Test- the Old Testament scriptures that said Christ was the Messiah, and he did it with all of his house. Now, his house was those who were at the point and where they could understand, because the gospel was to people who could believe. It is to everyone that believes. So they were old enough to understand, but it refers to them as a household. And many of the Corinthians Now this one verse tells a lot, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Now, what happened here is that he preached the gospel, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. Well, you say, well, how do you know he did that? Well, let's just flip over uh, in 1 Corinthians, uh, in your New Testament. You're in Acts, and you go through Romans and you come to 1 Corinthians, and you come to the, the 15th chapter. And uh, uh, he's writing to them later, and this is, is, is what he says in the 15th chapter and the first verse. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received. Well, they said they received it. He believed, and he was, many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. And wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. What are you saved by? Well, you saved by faith. Well, what are you saved by? You're saved by the gospel. What was it that it was preached? The gospel. What was it preached for? So that you could believe. So they were, they were saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Now here's what he delivered. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. That's the first point of the gospel, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. So now you remember when he said he, he reasoned with them, persuading them, that Jesus was the very Christ. It was to Jews, it was out of the scriptures. The scriptures are the Old Testament. Didn't have the New Testament at that time. That's point number one. He taught them that Christ had died for their sins. That's good news. That's the event at the cross that saves people. That's the event at the cross that redeems people. That's the event at the cross that makes it possible for us to be saved by grace. That's the heart of New Testament preaching. Number four, fourth verse says, that he was buried. Now that makes it difficult for people. If he's an unbeliever, he couldn't believe that he was buried, and then he's alive now. But he was buried. But then the third point, he arose. Again, the third day, according to to the scriptures so he's preaching the Old Testament the Old Testament said that he would do that that he would uh, even Jesus gave his uh, his approval to the story of Jonah and he said uh, A greater than Jonah is here and his three nights in the heart of the earth he said he'd fulfill that and he'd rebuild the temple and he did Number five, it says, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain until this present. But some have fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For so I am the least of apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was what which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored a more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Now. In saying this, I want you to understand that the Corinthian church is a, is is a, a great lesson for us today of how how to work how to work together and to bless uh, the very presence of Christ that's among us. And we can grow by taking this congregation, this congregation. I want you to turn to the first chapter of first Corinthians now and and just look at some of the points and really the point that I want to just leave with you this morning is that it's in the tenth verse. I want you to look at the tenth verse of the first chapter. I beseech you brethren By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, why would he say that? Well, Paul left Corinth, And he went back to Jerusalem, and then he went on another third journey. And then he ended up in Ephesus for two years and three months. And from Ephesus, he writes this epistle. He's over there two years and three months. And what he's done, he has received at least three letters, but we know he received this letter, maybe another one, and then another one tell him about some of the difficulties that they had. The difficulties that they had at this church was is that one man is living with his father's wife. Another was that they were going into law with one another and suing one another. Another was that they were all mixed up on marriage. And another was that they were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. And another one was that he had told them to pick up a contribution, uh, that he might come by and get it, because he knew it was a rich congregation, and take it to the poor saints, and they were having trouble about that. And another was that they wanted to know if they could support preachers. And he had to take care of that. But you know what he did? Uh, He didn't key in on their differences. He didn't come in like a cyclone or a tornado and just start eating them up about their, their problems. You know what happens today when we have family trouble or when we have church trouble or when we have business trouble or trouble in the school? People just get upset about the problem, and they just they just have a lot of misunderstandings about the problem. They just key in on the problem, and uh, that's really not the way to handle it. And Paul didn't ha- he handled it. And he mentioned those problems, but you know what he did? The first verse that really comes in to play. Is that he begs them. Look at the 10th verse. He says, you know, I, I beg you. I plead with you. Brethren. And he calls them brethren. Oh, you think you can call somebody brethren that, that's uh, committing fornication and, and they were homosexuals and all of that stuff and they were in that too. And he calls it the church of God. Call them. He yeah. didn't get tied up in their negative problems, he has it later. But what did he do? He said, Brethren, I beg you. But what authority? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. He's alive. He he, He's available to every one of us. Everything is inside of him. Everything is going on. And he's in control. and, And he is the king of all the kings. And he's the Lord of lords. And I'm just pleading with you that you do things and speak the same thing. What's that concentrating on? It's concentrating on harmony rather than on the negatives. And that there be no divisions among you. What does that say? That means you 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 get together. You don't divide. And that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Say, that's difficult, Paul. Yeah, it is. It is. And I want you to understand that he he also takes four chapters. He takes four chapters to prepare them before he ever gets to handling any of the problems. I want you to turn back to the first chapter. First of all, he keys in that he is a called apostle. And it it, it has God's approval by his will. And next of all, he says, you're the house of God. You're the church of God. You're where God dwells. You're the building in which God presents himself. And more than that, he says, you are sanctified and your position in Christ doesn't allow you to act like you're acting this way. This is what he's saying. You're sanctified in Jesus Christ. If we remember we're the dwelling place of God and that we're set apart in Christ and our position in Christ, it'll do a lot to help us to see the difficulties that we all face. And the next point, he says, you're called to be holy. You know what the word saint is? It's from the word "hagios." It means nothing but just holy, separate and apart. It means the same thing as sanctified. And I'm just sorry, but the misunderstanding that saints are the ones that are appointed with certain uh, churches and people who would want to canonize them and say they're is just out of teaching with God's holy and divine will. A saint is a person who's been saved by the blood of Christ, contrary to many teachings. And he's reminding them when they are just filled with all kinds of confusions and disagreements and and fallings and envy and hate and misunderstandings. He said, hey, you're in Christ. You're, You're set apart. You are holy. And hear what you're doing. Look at that next phrase. With all that in every place worship God call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord both ours and he, and, and, uh, and ours that means everybody is in the kingdom and in the church and we're all worshiping him and they're worshiping him in heaven so we ought to understand who we are and then he uses the great words uh, the Greek word grace and the and the peace word uh, Hebrew from Hebrew, and they both put together is a prayer. It just sets the stage for a prayer from our God and our Father. What are you saying, uh, Paul? Oh, I had a letter, and, and they told me about some misunderstandings and all the difficulties that they had. Oh, well, why don't you get on those things? Why don't you talk about them? Why don't you tell these people we're going to kick them out and all that stuff? It'll come later. The main thing, we need to know our position in Christ. We need to know who we are. We need to know what purpose that we serve here. And he said, I'm representing God the Father. And I'm representing Jesus Christ. This is the way Jesus Christ would do it. And look at that number four. I thank my God always on your behalf. Now you think about somebody writing your letter and saying, Paul, I've just got to talk with you about this problem, this problem and this problem and this problem and this problem. And I just need, and Paul starts writing back to them, and he says, I just want to thank God. I just want to thank God for you. And I just want to thank God for the grace that was given to save you. That's what he said. For the grace of God, which is given by Jesus Christ. Now, if that doesn't tenderize a person and get his thoughts off of the things that are separating and causing division, I don't know what will. And then he says, I thank God that in every place, in everything, ye are enriched by him. I want to key you in on what God can give you. He gave you salvation. I want to know what He can give you to overcome some of the misunderstandings and division and wrong attitudes that you have. That's what that verse is saying. And you get to thinking about things that will unite and harmonize people, rather than to think about things that will divide people. And you have the key. You have the key that in everything ye are enriched by him. How? In, in, in all utterance and in all knowledge. Now he had given the those people who were having trouble over their gifts. He, he gives a whole chapter. He gives 11, and, and he gives 13 to help them, and he gives 13 to show that love excels and exceeds all the gifts that they have. But he says here, you have, in in knowledge and in utterance, uh, you've been blessed, you've been enriched, and you don't need to use it in the wrong way, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. In other words, the testimony of Christ was the witness. I want you to look at that little uh, N, 6. In verse 6, the witness of Christ and that Christ was in them had been confirmed. It had been confirmed by spiritual gifts that they'd been given. It had been gi- uh, confirmed by the, uh, the forgiveness that they had had. It had been confirmed according to uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, they were all baptized into one body, that they were in one body. It had all been confirmed, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they were looking for Christ to come back, but they were also looking, and he's trying to teach them that Christ could come right then into their lives and hearts. And he pleaded with them to understand in a chapter later that they were filled with his spirit. Who shall also confirm you unto the end now the eighth verse shows that god is helping us and doing things through us and giving us strength through the difficulties that we might encounter as christians that ye may be blameless in the day of our lord jesus christ how does that happen well because that you put your faith and trust in him And when you sin you just confess your sins and you straighten up and you act like christ you don't go around pouting and and not speaking to brethren and and getting things in your mind that you don't even treat them like uh their friend or anything that's unheard of in the body of christ no it isn't either they had it here but he's trying to tell them that the first base the thing that we get into our mind before we settle any differences and how the unity that we have is that we are based in Christ. Look at number nine. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now he was driving it home. He was preparing them for that tenth verse that said, I want you to be of the same mind. I want to be no divisions among you. I want you to speak the same thing. Under what conditions, when you know who you are, you know how important you are. Look at that next verse. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. There has been declared among you uh, unto me of you my brethren by the which are of the house of Chloe that there are contentions among you now he's going to keep on he's not going to get into the the, the nitty gritty he's going to get into the event at the cross that put everybody together this I say that every one of you uh, say that you're Paul and some say you're Paul and some say you're Cephas and some say you're Christ I want to know. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Christmas and Gaius, lest by any means somebody should say that I baptized in my own name. Now he says, and I baptize also the household of Stephanas. Besides, I know not whether any baptized. For Christ, and here's a, a, a verse that could be misly, easily misunderstood, but he said, For Christ sent me not to baptize, and that's an ellipsis in the original language, and it could easily have an only in it. Like he said, You labor not for the meat that perisheth only, but labor for that which endures to eternal life. That that's the same thing here. He said, He sent me not to baptize. Well, He he did baptize, and He baptized somebody. But He didn't do that just only. That wasn't the thing. Baptism, to make somebody follow you, is not the thing. But to preach the gospel, and when He preaches the gospel, that's what we looked at in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. The death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. That we might live with Him that he's he's risen now and we live with him. Now look, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. It doesn't matter how good a language that I use and how lofty the speech may be when I take of the when I speak of a death, burial and resurrection of Christ, it is the message of Christ dying and being buried and rising again And that if I get Christ, Christ is alive. He's spiritual. That's the message of the cross. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. And he's trying to keep them on the power of God, that which saves people. It's belief in the presence of Jesus Christ after he was crucified. For every individual who claim him, and walk in him, and love him, and worship him, and act like him. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God the world by wisdom knew not God it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe? That wasn't the foolishness of preaching. It's the foolishness of the thing preached, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, not believed. Now, if it's believed, it's the power of God into the salvation. But if it isn't believed, it's foolishness. And that's the reason some people will not follow it. number 22. For the Jews require sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we, we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks a foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now here's the thrust of my sermon. You can take away the wisdom of God. You can take away the Christ. You can take away the answer to man's problems this morning. If you believe in Christ and acknowledge him as the knowledge that came from God, who created everything and knows everything and wants to give himself to you, and he'll guide you, and he'll give you help in the difficulties that we have when we're fighting against old Satan. He was trying to plead with them to say, you have the answer for your little old problems out there. You've lost touch with Christ. You've lost touch with the cross. You've lost touch with the wisdom of God that was given to you through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the thrust of the sermon. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 26, for ye see calling brethren how that not many wise after the flesh not many mighty not many noble are called oh yeah those rich people they came they brought their supper they brought all that and they let those poor people get over there and they got drunk and had their feast right there at the Lord's table they thought they knew all the answers they left Christ out at it he said you didn't come together to eat the Lord's supper You came just to get drunk and to have a feast. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Let me tell you, if there's anything wrong with you and your spouse, there's not anything that'll settle it more than both of you to get in Christ. go to Christ and ask you for his mind that'll put you together there's anything happening on your job that you're hating and you're resenting and you're working against your boss or somebody else there's not anything that'll help you more than just to name Christ as your savior and your redeemer and do things like he wants it done and if somebody mistreats you you forgive them and you react to them like Christ would Really break the barrier. Base things of the world and things which are despised have God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Nobody takes the humility of just being like Christ and not responding when people abuse you, say bad things. Well, it won't work, it does. The 29th verse says that no flesh should glory in the presence of Christ. It doesn't matter about how smart I am how much I've learned. And the only thing that matters to get people to think and to be one is their oneness in Christ. Of him are ye in Christ Jesus. Of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom. If you've been baptized into Christ, you have wisdom. What's that? Well, you have the fact that you are a creation of God, doomed to devil's hell for eternity, and that he's allowed you to be released from it. That's the answer. That's the wisdom that's made known. That's the mystery. And as far as righteousness, we're his righteousness. Why? Because we didn't do it. It's because of his blood, what he did at the cross. And we're his righteousness because we're righteous as he was righteous because we're in him. And he has unto us sanctification. Sanctification, that means set apart. And redemption. All those words in a lock, but all of them reach perfection in Christ Jesus. And all of that is according to his written. He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Now, there's many things to be said about unity. We can think about Jesus' prayer. We could think about Ephesians 4. We can think about many places that he talks about. We can think about the Galatians 5, or the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit. But the thing that brings people together is what you do, what you think about, what you do that eliminates division. And that is to do that which causes oneness. And the way you do that is through the power of God in Christ. He's your Savior. If he isn't, it's because you haven't made a choice to reach out and to take him. He is the Savior of the world. He, he, He is the right hand of God. He's asking for you to come to him right now. And if you haven't really let him reign in your hearts and life, he's asking for you to give up that old stubborn will and let him take over as we stand together.